0: You are listening to The Catholic Wire. So, I am your host, Father Carlos Sepeda, and you're listening to The Catholic Wire. Today we have no production, we have nothing, no music, just, we're just going to go with it because I'm recording pretty late, it's 10.22 p.m. and I just want to get this done. and and see how it goes. Okay, we're going to begin today with some news that are going around uh, that everybody knows, the famous uh, shooting in Nashville, in Tennessee, uh, by a person that was claiming to be transgender. I don't need to tell you the news, you know them already, and uh, we don't want to focus on the terrible things that happened. Obviously, we pray for those people, and we ask everyone to pray for those people, and for everyone. But this brings us to a few things that are certainly needing comment. The first one is that it is obvious that we are in a situation now where you can really say there is a persecution of Catholics and Christians. Um, It doesn't get any more real than that. You know, people actually going online and claiming, okay, we need to go and and kill these people. I was just reading um, one that came out of a person that was literally saying that. He was saying, kill them, behead them, uh, you know, kick them into the concrete, uh, uh, kill a baby and throw him into the trash can, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Now, my friends, about this, there are many reactions that we can have. You know, the natural reaction that might come to some is to say, well, things are getting too heated, therefore we should back down. You know, we should not say things, we should try to... to not state our faith so much out in the open and things like that. And that is not the proper response. Why? Because that would be, that would be yielding to the, the demands of a terrorist. When a terrorist, you know, does what he does, his, his whole goal is precisely that, that he will frighten you into submission. So the answer is no. No, we're not going to do that. Well, the answer is we are going to come out and we're going to speak out and we're going to face these things. At the same time, another, another reaction might come to our minds, and it might say, well, maybe we should tone down the rhetoric. Maybe we shouldn't be as, as uh, strong or violent against this. And to that, I would, I would say there is part of truth and, and part that is not. The truth is in that we should never uh, have our rhetoric, our, our narrative. I, I should say, rather, we should never speak our truth. the truth uh, with a disordered passion. And I say disordered because passion can be ordered in a, in a certain way. You know, it's okay to, to feel anger about some things that are evil. It's okay even to show that anger about, you know, these things that are evil because anger is meant precisely for that, to fight evil. But that should always be controlled in the sense that, okay, the reason why I have this anger is to stop the evil as a tool. The moment I make this personal, and I allow this to get personal, then I'm losing the battle already, and that's when things get murky. If I let things get personal, then the other person thinks that the whole reason why I'm fighting against these things is because it's personal. You hate trans people, you hate gay people, you hate this and that. And no, it's not. So we have. To, it's very important that we keep our emotions under control as much as we can, so that it is very clear that this is not personal. As a matter of fact, it's a matter of principle, and we're trying actually not just to fight for my sake and for my good and for my welfare, but also for your welfare and everybody else's. There is something that we need to remember and to consider with all these things that are going on in the news right now. We have to remember that this is part of a program, okay? It's not just that, you know, Things are going on in Twitter and Facebook and TikTok and teenagers are getting sucked into these ideologies and then, you know, bad things happen. No, this is a program. It's, it's, there are people that are trying to do these things and there are people that are trying to make these things happen and, and they are controlling the whole situation. But this is why I'm saying this. Their goal is to polarize the country, to divide it into two groups that they can face each other. And to raise up more and more and more of the heat between those two groups, precisely to cause violence. Because when you do that, you break apart the country and then it's all up for grabs. These powers are obvious. You know, it's the powers of communism, of socialism, of the secret societies. I'm not sure how long this video is going to last on YouTube, but (laughs) that's what it is. Okay, let's see what happens and we'll, we'll see what happens with me too. But that's what it is. And we need to remember then this is part of a program. Why is this interesting right now? Because it's just as bad to raise the level, the, 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 the violence on the one side as in the other. The people on, on the left are hearing constantly this news and feeds and, and social media and all that stuff, raising up you know, the rhetoric to make them hate the right. Okay, the people in the right, obviously, we have some of the right opinions. Many of them are. The problem is we also have these powers that are coming from the left, causing in here also the rising of a rhetoric and the rising of violence and the rising of anger. We have to be aware of that. That the communist forces on top and the people working on top are interested in getting both sides riled up because they know how that's going to work. They know what that's going to cost. So that's something that we should keep in mind. You know, when you... How do you know these things, for example? How do you see them affecting you? If you're listening to a lot of these, you know, right-wing shows, which I don't condemn, I mean, I like some of them, but you have to realize that they might have also some harmful effect in you. Because if if you're listening to all these things and at the end of the day you're also angry and you're continuously angry and then when you meet people that are in the other side of the aisle you're immediately at the defensive and aggressive and all those things then you realize, okay, you have been worked on already. You know, that you have been victimized by that whole process of trying to put one side against the other. We need to work integrally to solve the problem. That means that yes, we need to denounce error, that is true, but we also have to have charity when we do that and we have to practice virtue. Let me skip here from one point to the to another one. You know, let's we're done with this part that I was mentioning and, and I do want to comment now on another topic that is important because When we see all this violence that is happening in the schools, when we see the shootings, when we see, you know, again, the right going against the left and Republicans against Democrats and all this stuff going on, you might ask to yourself, okay, what is the solution? What is the solution to all this? Should the solution be to keep quiet both sides? And you start thinking of practical things that could be, done. should we just ban social media? Well. No, there's a lot of problems with that because if you ban social media, then the government is going to have all the discourse and we won't have nothing. Okay, um, should we ban guns? You know the answer to that, obviously, especially if you're listening to the show. I'm sure, I'm pretty sure what side you would be on. Uh, what happens if you ban guns? Well, well, we ban guns. We ban all automatic guns. Well, is that going to stop these guys? You know, if this girl didn't have guns, what would she have done when legislation is passed against... You know, the butchering of of children and and teenagers. She would have taken a Molotov bomb and go in there and blow herself up. Who knows? You know, if people don't have guns, they they have recourse for something else when they need violence. What should we do? The answer is that there is no one simple thing that we need to do. There are many things that we need to do. The first one would be that it would be necessary that politicians have no particular interests in mind, that they are not subservient to the Chinese party or to secret societies or to the Council of Foreign Relations or any of those things. Is that gonna happen? Probably not. What can we do? On our side, it's very important that we do everything that we can to inform other people. It's very important that we try to raise our children and educate our families properly. But I'm going to say the thing that nobody else is going to say. And the thing that you don't really want to hear. But is the truth. The best thing that we can do is pray. The best thing that we can do is try to avoid sinning. And to convince others not to sin. That is the best thing that we can do. Because you have to realize that below all these uh, material things that are happening, below all these events and opinions and, you know, shows and politics and all that stuff and the violence, below all that, there is a current of grace and sin opposing each other. And this is the main force, really. All this stuff that is going on on the left is driven by that subcurrent of sin. And all the stuff that is going on the right is most, a lot of it is just human power. But when it really does something, it's because there is a subcurrent of grace following in there. And so there's no way around it, even if you don't like it, even if it doesn't seem like something very fun and something that you feel like doing. The truth is the greatest thing that you can do. The greatest thing that anyone can do to make things better is prayer. Is prayer an act of virtue, and trying to get other people to do it? The more people that do it, God will be able to act on these things. We're not going to get politicians out of out of the you know the equation. We're not going to get politicians to be better and not corrupt. That's not going to happen unless there is a natural miracle from God. And so that's why we need prayer. The solution then is going to be prayer, political action, in as much as is possible, to try to pass the information and be brave about it, you know, be brave about upholding our faith and our beliefs, and protect ourselves too, in as much as we can. First is grace, but then is all the other material stuff. Okay, let's skip this, uh, pass to another thing. Um, I'm hoping I don't have the microphone too loud. I might have it too loud. I just shocked the microphone here. I have a problem with my office, and... There's many, many problems with my office. That's why it's hard to record. One of the problems that I have is that the place where I am is very dry. And so that means that I'm in a small office, dressed usually with a cassock, today not because I came from the street, dressed with a cassock that is incredibly static. And I walk on a carpet that is incredibly static. So it's like... I'm a shock machine. I shock everything that you see here. Like if I touch the camera right now, I'm going to shock it and it's going to blow up and the whole thing messes up. So I just shocked the microphone right now and I hope it doesn't stop working. OK, let's keep to another part. Uh, we were just reading recently in another news that the Vatican, you know, the Vatican always worries about very, very important things nowadays. Being sarcastic, obviously. It reads, the Vatican repudiates doctrine of discovery. It says, the Vatican has formally repudiated the doctrine of discovery, which was used by colonial powers starting in the 15th century to justify the seizure of native lands in the New World. What does that mean? Uh, the doctrine of discovery, they claim, was this uh, idea. And it was, actually, it was actually something that was debated back in the 14th, 15th century. Uh, it was the idea that, OK, the people that came from Europe to America had a certain right to claim the lands because they were not civilized. It's more complex than it seems, because there, there was a big back and forth uh, in, in with the Rome and, and the different kingdoms that were coming here, especially Spain and Portugal. And the idea was, OK, is it lawful? Is it lawful for us to come in here and claim these lands? Can we actually have a title to these lands? Before I begin this, I do want to tell you this. Uh, I'm not an expert in this matter by all means. I've read some, I think I've read enough to be informed, but uh, I definitely need to read more. I would like to to have more, more specific information on it. I have several books actually of history of the church and one of them is the history of the church in Latin America. Uh, I've read a book that is very good, that I recommend. is The True Story of the Conquest of the New Spain. This was written by a soldier that was actually with Hernando de Cortés during the conquest. And he's very, very impartial. He gives both sides, you know, the good and the, the, good and the bad. So I've read somewhat. But what I can tell you, and this is for sure, is this. Uh, there is a huge amount of... M- I mean, I was going to say misinformation, a huge amount of lies about these topics. And it's incredible how thwarted things are. I swallowed it. You know, you go to school and they tell you all oh, the Spaniards came and they took over the lands and they enslaved the Indians. And, you know, it was just everybody that came from Spain and from Portugal and all that were criminals. And they were just coming here to get wealthy quickly and all that stuff. And it's just like in anything in history there is such a complex thing that you need to consider. When you're talking about the conquest of the the new world by the European countries, you have to put yourself in that situation and imagine all the logistics that were involved, all the efforts that were involved, all the money that was spent, all the difficulty of what they were doing. And it's very, very stupid and little-minded, small-minded, to think oh what should they have done they, they should have just come here and they should have just you know give a bunch of stuff to the indians and then go back and and you know take nothing from it none of that would have worked it was incredible when you read the letters and the relations that they would have you know back and forth from the crown to the the kingdoms here in the, the new spain in america it's incredible when you see all the amount of trouble that they went through it was actually attempted this is interesting it was actually attempted at some point To say, okay, we're going to go and tell them, you know, this is what what should be done. This is how things should work. Here are some priests that are telling you all these things. Uh, Let's see if it works. It wouldn't work. It wouldn't work. Like, they, they would leave the society there, and soon enough, it would go back to their old habits and their old customs. So the Spaniards had a very, very difficult situation because all the Europeans, the Catholic Europeans, because it was, okay do we leave them to kill themselves here are these civilizations that we found they are slaughtering each other okay i see we come to these guys and they they ask us for help because the other guys come and, and take them and they literally rip their hearts out to sacrifice them to their gods rome do we leave these people to their fate we just get out Or do we do something about it? If we do something about it, the only way that this can work is if we get in there, we get the power, we establish order, and we do that by the sword. Not by the sword by killing everyone, no, but by the sword being saying, okay, we have military power here, you guys stop what you're doing, we're going to start something new. And we're going to start it, and if anybody does something wrong, we're going to have to punish with justice. You know what what that was called? It was called civilization. It wasn't there before. That was the only way to do it. I'm saying it here, and I know that, you know, if any, anybody that has the opposite uh, point of view watches this, they're going to have a ton of stuff to claim. But the thing is, you really need to go on, go back and look at the relations and look at the letters and look at all these things that were done at the, at the time. The, all the conquerors that came to Europe, especially the Spani- the Spaniards, They were asking moral questions to the church, which is unheard of. Okay, imagine imagine that you have, you know, the United States of America going into Iraq or Afghanistan or any of those places. And they call back and they say, "Uh, Bishop, is it lawful for us to do this and that? Uh, Can can we go into this property and do these things, or is that a sin Uh, if we do this? That would—it's unbelievable. Is it it's unimaginable? It would never happen in this world anywhere. That was happening when the Europeans were taking over here in America. They would actually write questions, moral questions, back to Rome, back to Spain, you know, to the to the cardinals, to the bishops, asking can, to the theologians, can we do this? Is it lawful or not? Were there abuses? Of course there were. Of course there were. Every As I say, it's a complex situation. Among people that were trying to do, do good, there were people that were trying to do evil. There were a lot of people that came just to get money and to get wealthy quickly. But the point is there was a big effort of regulating these things and they actually succeeded. They actually succeeded. All of the countries that were taken by Catholic powers succeeded in creating a civilization that had law that had actually a rule of law, and where actually things were made to a great extent equal. Something, for example, that a lot of people don't know, the first university that was made in America at all, the first university ever ever done here in America was the University of Mexico, and it was made specifically for the Native Americans, for the Indians, so that they would come and they would be able to study there. And the goal of the king in Spain, and he said it many times, was that his subjects from the Americas, from the new Spain, would be just as advanced and just as learned as the ones in Spain. What about the United States of America? Well, you don't need to know, this, you don't need to, for me to tell you this, but you know that, that the, the United States of America was a very different situation because the people that came to the United States of America were not regulated by a Catholic king. Many of them were, were different forces coming at different times, you know, the French, the, the, the English, and, and all this stuff. But most of the, of the people that started colonizing, that started populating the United States of America, the north part, were not subject to any sort of moral authority. They were not Catholic. And for that reason, they were many, many more abuses than what there was in Latin America. So, here you have the Vatican telling you, um, oh, we repudiate the doctrine of discovery. That was wrong. Okay, what should they have done? What should they have done? Should they have said, okay, uh, I just explained it. There was no other way to do it. The stupidest thing of this all is that, and I say this with, with, well, there's no respect that is due to these people because they really are no authorities and they're not acting as authorities. But the worst thing of this all is that the Vatican hasn't issued any doctrine condemning all the sexual perversions that are happening right now. It hasn't, doc- it hasn't issued any doctrine condemning communism or socialism or all of these things that are very evil, that are causing terrible harm in the church, and in the world, they're not condemning secret societies anymore. Like, there are things that are actually causing people to go to hell. They're not condemning all the horrible immorality that is going on in social media. Nothing. You don't hear Francis saying anything about that. You don't hear the Roman, uh, you know, office of the dicastery saying anything about that. This is the dicastery for culture. And it's not saying anything that is useful for us right now anything about all the terrible things that are happening in culture, the destruction of culture, the destruction of of Western civilization and of Western Christianity, nothing. Their concern is, oh, we repudiate that doctrine that was issued four centuries ago and for which, actually, or to which the church owes a lot of its prosperity right now because you got to keep this in mind. While the Spaniards and the Portuguese we're taking America and making it Catholic, not even Christian, Catholic, and gaining thousands and millions and millions of people to Christ and to the Church and to heaven, Europe was losing thousands and thousands and thousands of people to Protestantism and to the disorder that Protestantism later caused. So actually, the... the <laughs> If the church is so prosperous right now and we see so many good things in the Catholic Church that happened even up until until 1950, not after Vatican II, obviously, it's because of those efforts of those people. But you have the Vatican here worrying about useless things. Well, um, we do want to give you some good news. And, you know, obviously I can't speak of anything personal here, but um, it's beautiful to see how the church still works and, and how you see... You see, excuse me, Grace, working and still operating among us. Um, just recently, I've had the the the, the bless the, the I could say the privilege of um, being able to take care of some people that were you know in danger of death or even some of them uh, dying, and that at the last moment you know they came to the church and they received the sacraments and and. They were very happy to do so, and they lived, you know, they, they had a beautiful way to go. Um, it's amazing how important it is for parishes to pray. You know, sometimes when people tell us, oh, pray for this, pray for that, and you go and look at the message, and you go, eh, sure. I would say to you, pray right there and then, even if it's just a Hail Mary or a few pra- a short prayer, but pray. When many people pray for someone, it is very, very powerful. You wouldn't believe the, the amount of difference that it makes. So one of these cases that I'm talking about, that's what happened. We asked for prayers to the parish and, and we went there and this person received the grace and, and that person received all the sacraments. And then the, that person passed away beautifully, you know, receiving the sacraments the day before, passed away on the Saturday with the brown scapular on a feast day of our Blessed Mother. Beautiful things that you see here and you see still everywhere in the Catholic Church where we keep the true sacraments and the true mass and the true doctrine Uh, I do want to end the show okay we're going to almost 30 minutes so wow that's pretty long okay a lot of talking I do want to end the show today uh, as it would only make sense with an indulgence prayer Um, this is something that I would like to do every time that we do a show See, listen you listen to a lot of podcasts and content and and yes a lot of those things are very very good But when you end up, you don't really have any good treasure that you come out with. So I want to make it in such a way that when you listen to this this podcast, at the end, you have some spiritual treasure to come out with. And that treasure, obviously, can be very easily understood as an indulgence. If We say every time that we listen to these podcasts, we say a prayer with an indulgence. When you listen to the podcast, at the end of it, you come out, With something forgiven in your soul and with less time in purgatory and less time to to purify your soul, which is great. So, today we're going to say the divine praises and you will say them with me because otherwise you won't get the indulgence and we'll make the intentions of getting the, the indulgence. You get an indulgence of three years when you say this prayer. I'll say this every now and then. The indulgence of three years doesn't mean that you get three years less of purgatory. What it means is that the church grants you what you would get if you did three years of penance. So if you said to yourself, well, I want to change my life and I want to be better, so I'm going to do three years of penance, you know, three years of fasting and, and, and asking God for forgiveness for my sins and all those things. And the dispositions that you have in your soul is what matters, obviously. Well, that means that when you say this prayer, that the church gives you three years of indulgence for it, It is as if you had made those three years of indulgence in the eyes of God. Excuse me, those three years of penance. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, amen. Blessed be God. Blessed be his holy name. Blessed be Jesus Christ, true God and true men. Blessed be the name of Jesus. Blessed be his most sacred heart. Blessed be Jesus in the most holy sacrament of the altar. Blessed be the great mother of God, Mary most holy. Blessed be her holy and immaculate conception. Blessed be her glorious assumption. Blessed be the name of Mary, virgin and mother. Blessed be St. Joseph, her most chaste spouse. Blessed be God in his angels and in his saints. It's pretty late, I have to let you go. This is your host, Father Carlos Cepeda, and you're listening to The Catholic Wire. Uh, show me, tell me in your comments what you think about the show and if we should continue doing it. Thank you, and God bless you. Thank you for listening to The Catholic Wire. If you have found the show helpful, please say a prayer for all our collaborators. Don't forget to subscribe to our channels and share with your friends. For questions and comments, you may contact us at thecatholicwire.org.